Project management and PMO doesn't have to be boring. The Project Chatter podcast brings you no BS real speak on project topics, business changes, and the latest in techniques from industry leaders around the world. Take a back seat as the boys at PC Podcast take you on a journey of interesting banner, stories, and analogies to help demystify the science of projects and controls. Welcome to the Project Chatter Podcast, proudly sponsored by the world's largest aggregate of project management content in the world. Think of it as an interesting project info on demand. Take a conversational tour through the complexities of living with and on projects. Project Chatter Podcast is your real speak podcast, tackling the questions on schedule, scope, cost, risk, change, governance, reporting, big data, and much, much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Project Chatter podcast. So today's a bit of a carryover from our last episode, uh, where we were talking about career progression, um, interviews, uh, how to build your brand. Um, and, and we kind of started with um, the early stage of your career. We spoke about, you know, things to look out that way, um, shared some of our experiences and, and also covered a bit of middle management. And we decided to cut that one short. Um, uh, purely because we just we just wouldn't have done it justice uh, uh, spending you know the usual amount of time on that podcast. Um, so we're going to carry on today um, where we left off. Uh, so again, I think it's there were some nuggets in the last one. And hopefully, we can give you some good little nuggets this time around. As always, I'm Dale Fung, and I'm joined by my co-host Val Matthews. Hello, everybody. Thanks, Dale. Yeah, as Dale mentioned, I think we could have run over for a three-hour segment. Uh, a bit of a marathon on PMO uh, career progression, but, but splitting this up in two sections, maybe we can define some of the detail around um, more tactics around interviewing, specialization roles, what we meant by the Y stream, and perhaps we can explore that in more detail, um, and just general kind of insight and knowledge on on the best way forward when you when you're trying to map out a career. Yeah. So. I guess if we just jump straight back into it, because, you know, if, if, if the, the listeners out there will listen to part one of two and straight into this one, they want to, you know, they want to keep the flow. So just backtracking, uh, the, where we kind of left off was um, we were chatting about leadership along the way. And um, I think the last question I posed you, Val, was any sort of, you know, lessons learned that you could share in your experiences, um, particularly things that you've tried that don't work as well. Cause we, you know, as we mentioned, <laughs> yeah. uh, you often learn the most from, <laughs> from mistakes uh, and, and not yeah. only your own mistakes, but other mistakes that you've, you've seen and witnessed um, as well yeah. as, as some of the good things that you've, you've, you've tried and, and that's worked for you. I think the, the good, the, the, I kind of went through this last time we, we talked about not, not chasing the dollar. And, and I think if there's any mistake that I've ever made, it's probably, taking a role because this, you know, I've, I've thought that um, it was a, uh, it was going to be everything I thought it was going to be. And I left for the reasons that it gave me a pay increase. But by the time I got over there, the situation was that for that extra pay increase, I was meant to deal with a lot more um, le- less fun parts of the job. So, 
So you got to be careful that when you're mapping out your career that you're not deterred or distracted by the shiny things. Yeah, a new title, a new car, a new uh, pay packet. I mean, these these are great things that we should all be able to enjoy. But I think it's also important that you you stick to your own uh, career map and have some world laid goals that will get you there. And if I was going to make any mistakes, I think. Um, I don't know if I can admit them on air, but I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could. So, so the first one I think is, is jumping across industry too fast. So I've, 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 I mean, effectively I've, I've been in maybe seven or eight different industries, which is probably is an asset now being consulting, but not necessarily when you're going through and you've got a resume and, and every question or each interview, you can almost preempt them asking, well, hang on a second, you're in defense and, now you're in renewable energy and, and then you're in telecommunications and what, 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 what led you to all those different uh, industries? Because I think there is a consensus out there, or at least a, a method of, of hiring uh, people that know the industry rather than outside the industry. I think that's slowly wearing down over time. Uh, but it used to be that you would have to have, even to get a foot in the door, I don't know if you, Dale, if it's the same, but, used to have 10 years experience in one industry only. And that was it. That was the, that got you the interview. And if you didn't, you, it was kind of a cross against your name rather than a tick. Although now I feel like um, it's more entrepreneurial and edgy and they want outside uh, influence and insight and different industries are crossing over now and they're realizing that they can benefit from external and fresh ideas and fresh eyes. So I think jumping ships too quick, can be um, can look negative. I don't say it is negative. I can say it looks negative. Uh, the other thing is is there's another perception out there that that staying in a job for at least two years before you leave, uh, you, you you should do that um, to keep the, the kind of resume clean. And I think that's a joke as well. If you're in a really shitty job and you're not enjoying working with your manager or you're not enjoying working in the role, there's no reason why you have to stay there for two years and suffer. I think jump, get out of there. Um, do yourself a favor and find something that maps to your, to your career prospects. Okay. That's great. And then, so, so yeah, I, I do agree with you with the, you know, the part about, you know, having longevity in a certain career, it was sort of looked as, as a prerequisite, but we know that it was, yeah. more and more. Yeah, it was. Um, but more and more we, you know, we're coming to realize that diversity in role is actually a huge, huge bonus. Mm. Um, not just in terms of, you know, what sex or race or creed or, or anything you, your background you come from, but in terms of your, you know, your varied experience that, that, that does play a big part. So, so that is good. Um, but at the same time, you've got to be open-minded when you're going into a new industry. Um, I want to touch a bit also. Um, so, so you shared um, in terms of your experiences, your, your lessons learned for career wise, but what about um, in terms of when you came into leadership roles? I mean, you know, we, we not all of us are just natural born leaders. I, I don't think anyone is, well, you, you look at the likes of your Mandela's, et cetera, and you go, well, that's a natural born leader. But actually, even if you read Mandela's book, he'll tell you he had to learn a few harsh lessons along the way. Um, what are some of the things that you learned along the way in terms of leading people, some of the mistakes you made that you can share with guys getting into middle management or management for the first time um, and looking to really establish a, a, a good, I don't want to call it leadership style because I think these days you shouldn't have one style. I think you should have an array that you can choose mm. from 
um, yeah. given a certain scenario. Um, that's my personal view. What's what's your view on leadership style or styles? I think, I mean, we've got similar ideas around leadership, but, but and you probably got some really good ideas that we should share on this podcast too. Because I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily remember the time when I shifted from a manager to a leader, and I don't necessarily know why there's such a challenge for managers to become leaders. So na- naturally, you think. Well, if you're if you're a family person, well, and you're a family man or girl, you you tend to look after your tribe and and you you know what's good for them and you and you do your best to encourage them and and you limit them from danger and and then <clears throat> something happens. Uh, maybe it's the commute on the way to work and you drop that persona and you inherit another one as a manager, let's say, and suddenly then your criteria changes and you're more about delegating and authority and control and there's less uh, there's less kind of involvement and commitment to the individual which i find really bizarre so i've always thought that leadership is a really easy way to um to to bring people uh together by considering them as family now i don't mean like you have to have brunch with them and cook them dinner and have them over. I, I mean, more like, uh, you know, have concern, genuine concern for them and their own well-being, and be curious about their development and their ambition and their flaws. Because ultimately we, we used to say it a lot is we want you to fail. We want you to make mistakes. We think, we think, I think that leaders bring out um, kind of a psychological contract that allows people to make mistakes and that climate uh, brings brings people together, and they feel at ease. And when they feel at ease, and they integrate, and they work together, then they innovate, and ideas are creative, and it builds a momentum. And if you can keep that going, then you start to get um, what you call a high performing team. Then, um, and when that trust starts to build, they're okay if you step back a bit because they want they want more responsibility and meaning and contribution because they they feel like they've got a sense of purpose and they're part of a team. So. So for me, there's a, there's a real sticky part around training people to be leaders and people just taking the leadership word out of it and making it less about a, an academic criteria and, and more about um, an empathic way to deal with other humans. It's, it's, it's strange. I find it really strange. So I, I, I had a family of, not a family of, but a number of people in my family are salespeople. It's no surprise there, but, but salespeople in a different perspective. So they're really in real estate. And so I think their, their approach was that you needed to get to know the individual and, and, and that's the only way you're going to make it close by the way. So, you know, whilst you don't want to all be um, car salesmen, we, we all, we all need to know how to negotiate a transaction and communicate a way that we can both benefit from. And I think I mentioned in the last podcast, we talked about aligning someone individuals objective individuals kind of ambitions with um, or personal goals with the business objectives or the projects outcomes and and if you can do that then then ultimately you're on the right you're on the right track but the other bit is is that is that no one comes to work with a hundred percent of themselves so is that iceberg theory you only know ten percent of a person ninety percent of it's underwater kind of thing and I think that's actually the scariest part is that a lot of people go to and from work and you have, and you don't know a thing about them. And 
So I always make it, um, and I know you do as well, make it part of my job to get curious and understand what drives them and what their values are. And it's not too difficult and it doesn't take a lot of time. I think a lot of people believe that in order to invest that amount of time into a person and get the reward as in the, i.e. the performance, you need to spend a lot of time with them. And I don't think that's true. I think, yeah. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a divider between formal and informal and, and you've got to somehow find a level to communicate to them. And once you get that synergy and resonate with them, then, then things change. Yeah, and I, I think um, I, I think you know what you said is quite true, particularly um, traditionally how managers were appointed. Right, if you look back, I think um, people typically typically appointed into managerial roles because they were subject matter experts, technical experts, but they weren't really equipped to deal with people, manage people, hmm. um, and you know motivate others um, motivate the team get everyone to work to a common goal i don't think those were things that people were naturally inclined to do if they were a technical expert so it's yeah. more and more of it's happening now where they're identifying more rounded individuals to go into leadership positions but i think it's quite a legacy issue if we can call it that that you still have a lot of people that have been placed uh in leadership roles who aren't necessarily equipped for it and they've had to find their own way and more often than not they've reverted to the authoritarian delegation route um, more than anything else because one either they didn't know anything different or or two um, they didn't know how um, to really um, as you say um, be a, a, a more family orientated leader um i often ask people what their definition of leadership is and um they often ask me back and, and my my answer usually is well for me um the definition of a leader is someone who has followers um, and what that means is um, people choose to follow you mm. um so i guess if you're a manager and you you you, you want to be a really good leader ask yourself for the people that you think you're leading are they following you by choice? Because if they are, that's more powerful than purely because of the org chart that you find yourself in. Mm. If you just keep it that simple, um, you can forget about all the other, you know, um, soft skills required. Those will come. But you just ask yourself something very simple. Are the people that I am leading, are they choosing to follow me or are they purely doing it because of the org chart and the paycheck? Um, yeah is so much more powerful if they've chosen to follow you um, because they've bought in from day one, you've bought into them. Um, the relationship is two ways, both are more receptive um, and, and, and just harnesses so much more. So it's an, yeah. it's an important point that, you know, you talk about, you know, in terms of kind of PMO career progression, there's such an emphasis on the technical components of, of being a, uh, a PMO gun, if you like in whatever stream that might be how many are actually going out there and doing the soft skills up front out of their own pocket um because i think those are the other people you want in your business and, and now i think there is an there's far more of an opening in, in the hr and, and it's far more flexible to look at the dynamic of a person their their attitude rather than just their technical competencies and that almost trumps some of those and depending on the role and the seniority of that role i was going to ask you if you you know asking you and to the audience that 
what what would you recommend in terms of training or development in terms of leadership? Where can some of these people find resources or where have you looked for, for inspiration? I know you're an avid reader as well. Would Where would you go if you were seeking strength in this area? Well, you know, we've spoken a lot about books we've read and things like that. There, there's loads out there. There's lots and lots of leadership books. Um, What's the best one? Give me your top, give me your top three. You got top three? Wow. Wow. Put you on um, the spot there, mate. Put me on the spot there. Yes. So uh, one of the ones that I read fairly, fairly early on, uh, kind of I was in university, that really impacted me was Emotional Intelligence. Mm. I think it was Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury. And again, we have, I have no affiliation to this. EQ. Um, so, so for those that don't know, what, what, is that, what is that about? So traditionally talks about how, you know, um, we measure people's intelligence based on um, uh, IQ and how intelligent you are in terms of the, the technicalities and the theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, emotional intelligence uh, or EQ, as, as you, you mentioned, is, is about how um i guess how you can apply emotions in various how how successfully you can apply emotions uh in various situations mm-hmm. how you can identify um what emotions people are going through um and how you best react to that mm-hmm. and that is something that resonated with me personally in terms of books um in terms of of leadership there there are one or two others along the way, but I don't want to put them in categories. I'll, I'll just mention that one that for me personally was was really impactful. Um, and then one other little one that I will mention um, that's a really easy book to read. It's a little blue book. Uh, I forget the author's name. You'll have to Google it. It's called Skill with People. Uh, Les Giblin, I think, was the author. Um, really, really simple book to read. It just makes sense. Whoever you are, it's not a complicated book to read. You can you can read it easily within a day. Um, but it's just about listening. Um, it's it's about how you converse and, and and taking in what you're listening to. So so yeah, th- th- there's loads out there. Um, I'm not suggesting those those two are the are the ones to go for. But for me, um, those were, those were quite impactful. And I guess you never ever really stopped learning. You're continuously learning, and, and one of the things that you know you got to continuously do as a leader is continuously test different things, mm. because you don't really know what works and doesn't work all the time. The reason being is because you're dealing with people, and people are very very complex. Um, you know, if you're dealing with an, we we love to hate Excel, but we love to use it as examples. <laughs> you put a formula into Excel, you know what it's going to tell you. You know, you know what the formula gives you. But you try the same formula with people, it'll give you a different reaction every single time. Um, so keep testing it, keep trying it. If one thing doesn't work, try something else. Try being open and robust. That doesn't work, try a different route. Try be firm, try be a bit softer. Whatever the case may be, you got to understand that person to see what's effective. Um, yeah. So it's about staying open-minded really um, for me. Um, and, and again, bringing it back to PMO, um, you know, we deal with a host of different skill sets, as we've mentioned before, whether you're a planner, risk, controls person, reporting manager, cost manager, commercial, whatever PMO makeup you find yourself in. More often than not, I've found is you inherit your team. You don't mm-hmm. choose your team. And 
if we could choose the people we worked with, we'd all just hire like-minded people and happy days, utopia. Well, not necessarily either, but more often than not, we're inheriting people and you'll get an array of people, people at different stages of their careers, people with different backgrounds, people with different, I guess, temper limits, people with, with different levels of empathy, all sorts of different people. So um, the more you can identify early on the makeup of your team and the more you've actually just experienced working with different types of people, I think you can apply those experiences um, um, to those different personality types. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's, I guess, it in a nutshell. Um, no, I don't know how much more the- we can add to, to, to that. Yeah, well, there's some good books there. I think at least there's some nuggets of wisdom that, that people can start Googling and, and get a feel for it. And by the way, there's a lot of free resources as well, which we haven't even tapped into. Um, there's TED Talks. TED does a lot of leadership talks. There's YouTube. There's obviously some modern kind of leadership leaders like um, uh, Simon Sinek, who's got uh, two books out that are quite good um, that I've read. Uh, one's called Start With Why, uh, and the other one is Leaders Eat Last, and they're both pretty good. So. So it's, it's, it takes us past um, kind of the theoretical, the academic, the training, the resources to, right, now what? Now what do we discuss? Let's say you're going down a specific route. You want to specialize. I'm just doing a thought, thought scenario here. Just just out of the blue, I thought I'd just put you on the spot then again, Dale. <laughs> well, this is what we do. We like, we like to freestyle a bit and see where this goes. Yeah, because so I had it in my head while you're talking and I was like, <laughs> well, you know, risk, risk is one of those really crucial roles. And I've been with a number of clients where uh, risk has probably been the poorest performer. And it's not because of the, of the performance of the employee as such, because they've done what they've been trained to do. It's the appetite and the understanding of the company itself to employ the right tactics and tools and framework in place for risk. So how do you get noticed and how do you progress your career through the risk and, and what tools and, and opportunities and access do you have? Do you have any kind of ideas around that? So, so personally, I, I, I use quite um, obvious statements when I talk about risk, particularly to the delivery uh, fraternity, if we can call them that. Are these statements uh, or analogies? Have you got some analogies for us? Some anecdotes, um, some metaphors, no? <laughs> so I'll share those lines. I, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> so so basically, I I'd say right. If you have a risk register, and if you're going through all of your risks and you're identifying them and you're putting in mitigation actions, um, and I think we covered this in one of our earlier podcasts when we talk, when we spoke about risk management, um, but we'll recap. And so I say to them, you've got your risk register, you've got all your mitigation actions in there. You also have your schedule. Are your are your mitigation actions in your schedule? And almost 100% of people say no, they're not in there. Yeah. So I say, well, one of two things is going to happen: either all your risks are going to happen, and you're not going to achieve your schedule, uh, or um, you are mitigating, and your none of your risks will happen, but you're not going to achieve your schedule. So both mean you're not going to achieve your schedule. And they look at me and I'm like, they can't argue back at that. So either you're doing your mitigation actions and you're de-risking or you're not. Either mm. way, you have unrealistic schedule. But most of the time um, when you see risks, they are looking at cost. Like when you see a risk register, most companies are geared around cost impacts. They very rarely have a, a, a duration day impact. So you can almost do the same thing on the risk register and say, right, show me all the risks that have impacts to duration. 
and they won't be i mean i very rarely like you said you'll find a, a register that has both yeah uh, the other the other the other interesting um topic on risk is qsras um, and it's alarming how many people don't actually understand or or know what a qsra is mm. um the amount of times uh, i've been part of um, a team that's run qsras and the delivery folk go that date isn't realistic it's not it's not the right date it's not it's not giving us the right answer you're like well no hang on hmm. it's giving you the answer <laughs> based on the input you provided so they yeah. just don't get it and they, they don't understand its confidence levels and what that actually means and it's based on you know a whole host of scenarios i don't want to make this a risk session um but just to try and give you i guess some answers and, and if people want to listen to uh more details around risk i think one of our earlier podcasts have have more on risk and also you know we we're hoping and planning to get some more um uh interviews with risk specialists on here so we'll we'll get into it in the future let me know when you find um, some (laughs) i I, yeah i i i will do and i'll I'll let everyone else know as well but no certainly not just risk but back to your question how do you want to get noticed whether you're in risk planning controls, it's all about making things obvious to your customer. Um, and when I say that, it's your internal customer because for me, your customer when you're sitting in PMO is the project manager, the senior project manager, the project director, the folk that are driving and leading delivery. So if you want to get noticed, make their lives easier. I know I said, you know, or we said earlier in, in part one about making your manager's life easier. Yes, that's great too. But if you really want to make a name for yourself, um, really look to make your stakeholder, your key stakeholders' lives easier. So like I say, whether it's, if you're in planning, don't just take updates and put them in and go, that's what the PM and the engineers told me. Have a look at the updates, see what impacts they're making and go to the PM or the SPM or the project direction and go, hey, after this period's progress, this is what's happened. And based on that, these are the impacts. And oh, by the way, I've also looked at the scenarios and you can potentially make these decisions and do that differently. Mm. Again, coming back to that scenario of, you know, what whatever your title or role is in PMO, if we were sitting in a rally car, the project manager, SPM, project director, they're the driver of the rally car and the PMO person is sitting next to them as the co-driver, looking at the map, telling them what's coming up, what's coming ahead, sharp to slow down. Correct. Mm. Um, so if you can work that relationship, regardless of uh, which um, role you're playing in the PMO, personally, I think that's how you get yourself noticed. Um, because guess what? If you that um, navigator, as, you, as you, you've labeled it, and the PM crashes, guess what? He's going to look for a new navigator. But if, if you get him to, or her, sorry, not, not to, to be too sexist, it's him and hers. Um, <laughs> You know, if you if you get them successfully to the end, um, navigating, guess what? You've made a great name for yourself because um, future projects, they'll talk about you. They'll talk about those situations. I've heard so many people that I've worked with coming in new that have mentioned previous people they've worked with by name saying so-and-so is a fantastic planner. So-and-so mm-hmm. is a fantastic risk manager. And we hear it all the time. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that would be my insight to it. Do you have anything else that you would I, add I to think, that? I think there's two parts to it. And, and you've you've done a really good job of talking about the, the long-term effects of being consistent in role and being that navigator in course and keeping people on track. 
I think there's a there's an opportunity. I think we've had a few people in our teams as well do this where they get in and they just get shit done. And there's a tactical component as well to, you know, we could all complain how shit um, certain projects are and, and how things aren't lined up and how the systems aren't right and they're not integrated and you're using a spreadsheet to run a multi-billion dollar project, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff doesn't help. And complaining to your senior management, your senior directors, the senior project managers, the project directors, they're not, they're not waiting for you to give them more problems. What they're waiting for is you to solve problems. And I think we're talking about the same thing here. And so come up with some really effective ways to measure. If we're talking about risk or whatever it might be, but for risk, you know, do you have contingency burn down? Are you trending that? What are you trending, tracking and tracing? How do you know what last month was versus last year or the baseline or whatever it might be that you're measuring against? What can you do in terms of forward-looking indicators? How can you be analytic with your with your role? How can you provide insights that maybe someone's overseen or over, you know, maybe any oversights on the project or um, new ways of thinking? And you don't have to do this alone. I, you know, a number of times we get a whole bunch of people in Dale and, and they'd be from various backgrounds and be like, right, we've got this problem. How do we solve it? And we do various different styles. I know you and I use the bonus six thinking styles or six thinking hats just to get some creativity going. But it's also about just having consensus and getting people to be creative with a problem statement and not just stick on it and sit on it. So if you're in a role and you're stuck in a role or you want to progress that role, don't do what everyone else is doing. What's the differentiator between you and everybody else? And this comes back to personal branding, but it also comes back to you got to show value. So what are you doing? If you're a risk manager, how are you mitigating? How are you identifying risks? What are you doing as early warnings? How are you getting the right information in front of the right people? And if you're doing the same as everybody else has done before you, then you're not showing extra value or demonstrating new value. You're demonstrating the same value and therefore you'll be treated the same. So yeah, it's really I, about that standing out piece. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's easier said than done though. Let's caveat it with that. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta oh, yeah. learn, yeah, you gotta yeah, learn yeah. techniques that suit you because uh, it doesn't always work um, doing it other people's ways because you're built differently as well. So not only, you know, when you consider other people, consider yourself and look at your own strengths and weaknesses. But I guess um, now's a good time to move into a space that will probably be very, very, um, uh, wouldn't say confrontational that's probably the first word that pops into my head but more oh, about really? um i know confrontational maybe it is the right word um, oh, talking it. about senior leadership right so i'm talking about how you get into exec level um so director type know, and above yeah director type and above uh some of the uh, do's and don'ts um because we probably will share a lot of uh, don'ts which are based on things we've seen from past directors we worked with and for. Um, so that's why I say confrontational. Maybe controversial is a better word than confrontational because, yeah. well, even if they hear it, it's, it's, it'll be okay. Oh, I'm um, putting their full name on the on the uh, bio. Mate. Right. <laughs> I've got a blacklist now. <laughs> you got a blacklist. So, yeah. There is there is some assholes out there, though. Let's just be yeah, honest. Yeah. There, there are lots. I think there are a lot of assholes out there, and um, <laughs> some of yeah. them are effective, though. Let's be right. like you can you can blame them for all the bad, but you, sometimes you have to blame them for all the good too. You can't necessarily think because someone's an asshole. I mean, I've seen it been a really effective tool. Now it's not a long term tool, but geez, it can work. <laughs> no, it definitely can. Yeah, you know, as we've previously said, there's a there's a time and place for everything. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was um, 
was it you that posted on your LinkedIn um, the the motto from uh, Huel, "Don't be a dick." Yeah, that was um, me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it got like how many uh, tens of thousands of likes and, and views. oh, that was a great that was a crazy that was one and a half million likes and reshares and comments and yeah, got a message from but, the CEO and they started their own podcast out of that actually. So they they wow. they've really done well uh, to to lift that brand. Yeah. Maybe we can get him on you, but um, I but anyway, just coming back to that actual slogan, "Don't be a dick." Um, I think it. I think you can take that from whatever level of seniority you are, um, even if you don't manage anyone. Just don't be a dick, but more focusing on execs and directors. Yeah. Um, personally, I think you should place even more focus on "Don't be a dick" <laughs> when you get to that level, because yeah. Yes, a lot of companies are driven by the profit margin, the bottom line. Um, but there's, and, and it's, it's really tough to measure this um, and to quantify it. But the motivational quotient, shall we call it that, or factor, um, the multiplier that you can have, if you have a motivated team, um, personally, I think is exponential. Um, Oh, I know it's difficult to quantify. No, no, there's but, definitely yeah. facts on that, mate. There's there's research on that. So happy people are productive people. There's there's plenty of science backing that for sure. Um, what what strikes me as odd is it still doesn't happen. You still have yeah, no, leadership being toxic and and filtrating so, that down into the organization. So absolutely, there's definitely science behind it and that it has an impact. But what I mean by it is, if you two took two projects uh let's call them high profile pro uh, pressurized projects that typically produce um the the worst out of people at times particularly when the pressure's on mm. you can't replay the exact same scenario and apply both um uh, an empathetic soft skill motivational leader type versus the dick and understand the differences is my point yeah so yeah, i agree yeah you kind of need um, sense. you kind of need some navy rules in there where you need a skipper and an XO. Now, any any bad news, the skipper will give the XO the, the news to, to communicate to the to the crew, and so everyone hates the XO. So the skipper is the good guy, and the, and the XO is the bad guy. And the, what's the XO for those that don't know? Uh, the executive officer, second in charge, I would say. So you so you can play this good cop bad cop kind of ideal, and uh, you, you see that actually happening a lot. So you'll have maybe. Um, you know, maybe an introverted um, VP, vice president, or um, um, who will only pass down the bad news and circulate that with his with his direct reports, and then they would give the bad news, but all the good news would come directly from him or her. So that you know, they're once removed from from being you know at the at the fiery front or the coal face, and and that that's one one tactic I've seen executives use very well. <laughs> <laughs> right okay so let's 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 stop talking about the fluff and the bs and the theory let's get straight <laughs> examples of do's and don'ts good <laughs> you go first good well, well I'm not, you know i'm not the uh, i'm not the vp of any organization so i can only speculate but um the don'ts are, are um don't play the political game so obviously every boss has got a boss and you know that there is actually a whole bunch of noise and politics that surrounds a project especially mega projects and it goes over and above and it, and it tends to go it depends on the size of the company but if it's a global company then there's always someone pushing and pulling on on a project and naturally it's probably around you know uh, pleasing the shareholders or 
you know, driving profit, um, um, reputational uh, kind of incentives. And, and so, so those pressures are given to your senior management and they do probably their best to hold those back, but also then put pressure on the project to perform. And I think it's a very, it's a very easy way. It's a very easy thing to do is to judge people in those roles and the behaviors they uh, exhibit, but not necessarily understand where they're coming from. And so being at that, in those roles where I've seen it happen and I've seen the type of stuff they go through, it's, it's, um, it's hard. And I think what would help them a lot is a little bit of transparency and uh, less interference with projects. So, and I mean that from senior management and senior companies that, that have exterior management putting down on them and investigating and auditing them when really all they want to do is get the job done. And so that yeah. might, might in fact drive some of that poor behavior we see you know, on the day-to-day. Yeah, so I wanted to add there as you were chatting about that, you know, if 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 you're a really good uh, senior senior leader, um, you create you like a buffer between all of the noise and yeah, creating an environment for people yeah. to move on. And um, we both worked for a, re- a really good director um, that that did that for us, allowed us to 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 have the space to to just do mm. our thing. And when he went away for a little while, I think we can mention his name because we'll hopefully get him on this podcast um old craig craig patterson um you know when when he went off for a little while um we were exposed to all of that and we really appreciated after that um because because on the face of it he was one of those i guess a little bit more i wouldn't say introverted but he wasn't a loud robust in your face type of director Mm. um but he was unassuming um but you realized actually how much he actually sheltered you from all of the noise that was happening above all the politics and everything else when he wasn't there. And I think personally, that's a sign of a good leader because they've created a good senior leader, a good exec. They've created this environment, the space for their middle managers to get on with the show. Um, yeah, exactly. So exactly. Hopefully we can get him on, uh, share a beer with him and, uh, you know, get him on and to share some of his insights into, into that. Yeah, and I mean that. I mean the, the don'ts. The don'ts are um, pretty pretty self-explanatory. Like, you know, don't dress down your team in front of clients, or perhaps be, <laughs> belittle them or intimidate them. Perhaps um, don't control them or micromanage them. The list goes on. I mean, these are these smile are s- smile might symptomatic be <laughs> problems with well even with you know managers and senior management that just definitely have personality disorders or are narcissistic or sociopaths in real life you know or savants or you know on the spectrum you know they they're good at a job but they're not good at the the innate communication part of the job so perhaps they're really good with uh interpreting technical detail and understanding under extreme pressure but when it comes to communicating what needs to be done they lack the skill set which it's fine if if they can be diffused before, you know, you're going into a 25 man room or whatever it might be. So you, you just got to think about. Uh, do you think they're not necessarily? Uh, sorry, do you think they're not necessarily drinking, aware? <laughs> <laughs> my, my tongue's tied. <laughs> if I was drinking at noon on a uh, Sunday, then um, yeah, it'd be a bit of trouble. But no, do you think they're um, not necessarily aware that they're behaving that way? I don't do think, think I don't think they are. I think I think a lot of the time 
awareness is brought to them. So it comes back to your point around EQ and necessarily understanding themselves and how they are perceived and also reading the room and understanding how it's affecting others. I don't necessarily think they do. And maybe that's one of those criteria of a leader. If you're looking to progress and you want to be known as a, as an empathic leader or as a, as an inspiring leader, then maybe you should look at how um, others perceive you. And that's not always an easy thing. It's not always something that people wear on their sleeve. It's something you've got to find out slowly. Now, by all means, if you can call them on it, you should probably do it. But there's a rule that that tends to be career limiting. <laughs> Are you talking so, about experience? Or, uh... <laughs> well, you know, I, I do believe standing by your guns. I do believe that. I think, you know, you should let the quality of your work speak for yourself. And I believe you should have integrity and ethics. And I think that should drive your moral compass. And I don't think you should back down, especially when there's a bulldog in the ring. So I think you should you should keep cracking on and be resilient. Um, I think a lot of, if I, if I look back, I think a lot of the times people leave jobs because they feel like they're too hard rather than just dealing with it. And that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily build the right behaviors or attributes either. So if you've got a really difficult manager and you just leave because it's all too hard and you don't want to have a conversation with them, well, maybe you're not doing the right thing because maybe a conversation would have been the thing that saved your job and would have got you your manager in a, in a position where he recalibrates and works with you a little bit differently. So I think there's a little bit of softness coming through in the younger generation. I don't want to say any particular generation, but I've definitely noticed that they're maybe they're less inclined to put up with anyone's bullshit. Maybe it's because there's far more job opportunities these days. Maybe it's because um, we don't teach kids resilience anymore. So maybe we can blame the parents on that one. I'm not sure, but, but there's definitely, there's definitely signs of that, uh, that jumping because it gets all too hard. And, and those guys that get to the top, those guys and girls that get to the top, I mean, they, they put up with a lot of shit. And so, you know, kudos to them. Now we can, we can bag their behaviors all day long, but, unless you're in that position and you know what it feels like to be beaten up from the bottom and the top. Um, I don't think you can comment. Is, is there that much difference between middle management and senior management? I'd say people would say probably the paycheck, but I don't think they realize what comes with it. So I think there's a lot more politics in play and there's a higher level of decorum in terms of how you do that. And so there's a lot more, uh, negotiation skills required and influencing skills required. There's a lot more presentation skills required. I don't think EQ is really covered, but but generally at, at the senior level, um, it should be. Um, but is there a big jump? It depends on the company. It depends on the project and it depends on the culture of that, that company. So yeah, the, the ones I've been of... on. Sorry, go ahead. No, the ones I've been on, I mean, they've all been different. I've been on some really big ones and they've been great and fantastic. I've been on alliances and they've been fantastic and I've been on some huge ones and they've been terrible. And so it's just a mixed bag. So, so, okay. So let's get into um, some specifics. Can you share some of the terrible examples that you've been in? I mean, don't, no, I can't you know, know. <laughs> okay. How about some of the good ones? How about some of the good, good, good ones you've worked with and some examples um, of that? Yeah. So, oh, well, I can do both. I don't mind. Um, probably one of the better ones was working on a defense project. So, working on the warfare destroyer program for Australia and shipbuilding is great because it's close to my heart and, uh, and it's just, they're just great projects. Uh, they're big budgets. They're very technical, lots of moving parts. There's, there's, you know, there's always kind of conflicts and the, and the basis of the project controls piece at least is project, you know, is earned value. And so that's another really interesting facet of, of, of what I do. And, 
we had a team where we didn't make mistakes, but we knew we were testing the limits of the software available at the time. And so I'd liked, I know this is one of the first values that I realized that I, I really enjoyed doing, um, which was um, innovating, um, doing things that no one else has done before. And I know that's something that drives me in all my career project, all my career decisions is, well, there's two things. And this, this one was the first one to come up. And so we were aligning kind of multiple data sets from multiple areas. We were using kind of very primitive AI reporting and uh, various Dell tech tools to look at combined reporting with like dashboards, you know, nowhere near what Power BI and, and Tableau can do these days, but, but you're talking like, you know, 10 years ago. And so that, that, that technology didn't exist. So to be on the forefront um, helped us kind of bring, brought us together. So we did a lot of working back late and there's just a real strong spirit around being the best and doing the best we can. And I really, really loved that team and really enjoyed it. And I'm still friends with a lot of people from that team uh, over 10 years ago, which is crazy. Right. Wow. And, and so it, it tells you a lot about what, what a family tribal type relationship you can have with a team. And that's what I was trying to get out at the start of this podcast was that you can have that connection and it's actually okay. And, and it does drive performance because we work their asses off and to get these things through the door and get them done and built on time. Um, and I think that was probably one of the best projects I've been on, even though I wasn't on long enough, I felt like I could have gone back. Uh, but it was it was a really eye opener, and I, and that gave me a bit of a standard to set all other projects by. So they're pretty high expectations when I went to my next project. Yeah, wow. Um, again, you know me, obviously, you know, always comparing things to to sports. I I don't see um, any role in PMO as an individual sport. Um, no. You have to always count on those teammates around you, and no matter what sport you look at um, the most successful teams are the ones that you know they, they they work well together they understand each other yes every team will have a bit of infighting and a bit of politics everywhere you go exactly um, whether you're a sports team or a, a work team but um, if if you have some sort of common goal you have a good relationship and you have an understanding and again back to your point you don't have to be best friends with every single person but you have to understand them. you have to know what makes them tick they have to know you so it's two ways thing. Don't, it's not just that you have to understand them, allow them to know you as well, share your, a bit of yourself, you know, um, obviously in a safe way. <laughs> um, and <laughs> well, I think what you mean is like share your flaws. I mean, I think being imperfect is the perfect way to be a leader. Absolutely. Um, be vulnerable. I always say you have to be vulnerable as a leader. Um, because I think person, uh, certainly when I was in my earlier career, if I had a leader that showed their flaws, I trusted them more. Yes. If they were okay with it, I would trust them more and I would do more for them because they didn't try to live up to be this perfect person and mm. know everything uh, and, and, and be the know-it-all and, and just want to tell you what to do. You, you work harder for them because you know that they're open and they're, they're happy to listen. So putting the, the shoe on the other foot when you're in that leadership role make sure that you're giving everyone that that air time to make sure that they're being heard and that um you know their opinions are being taken on board and also to show that you know that you don't know everything because you don't you can't possibly know everything so um is that a, is that like a level of um 
having some humility and and it goes back to being authentic doesn't it it's just it's part of the it's part of the job and uh, and maybe maybe more so than any other project roles i mean i know geez it pisses me off when project managers talk shit you know and jesus pisses pisses me off when finance and commercial talk shit but you know what pmo don't have that opportunity uh i haven't found too many that do because we're in a position where we're obligated to tell the truth we're in a position where um telling the truth saves project performance it saves money it saves time it saves people um so and and by all means you know you're working on behalf of numerous stakeholders i think the other really valuable facet of PMO, which is interesting and, and different to every other industry or every other organization department is that we're integrated with every other organization department. So we know what's going on. We know what's happening in engineering. We know what's happening in the test team. We know what's happening in design. We know what's happening in you know the doc control and configuration teams and commercial and finance. And to have all that knowledge and not act on it is, is you know, it's a form of negligence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, we've touched on before. We are, I think we've mentioned, uh, we are the conscience of a project. We have Ooh, to be like transparent. It. Have we you have said that be, before? I think we've said it before. That's you know, good. we might have. Yeah. Jeez, you should write that down, man. Uh, it's recorded. That... It, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a book. The consciousness of the pro. Was it the, wait, say that again? Just We're the, the conscience, the conscience of the project. The conscience of the project. Yeah. Like it. Anyway. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll be here all day. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, ho- hopefully, we haven't lost the listeners by now because we're just jabbering on a bit. But um... ah, <laughs> man, they're probably going to be our bosses soon. So uh, we'll be applying for jobs, and then we're like, we didn't like your podcast. And it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we tried. We tried. Yeah, we tried. What can you do? nothing so yeah anyway so so back to it back to you know i guess that's senior we've shared some of the nice things are there any like real life don'ts that that you you can be quite specific with absolutely uh, that, i think that you can share if you're going to um if you're going to lie um be prepared don't. for a, be prepared for a fight <laughs> i think as yeah. a leader as a senior leader i don't understand why people maybe they feel forced um to make decisions that are fraudulent or um you know against policy or process or the law but it happens it happens and it you know it takes good people to stand in their way and and do the right thing and i had a certain experience where a certain project wanted to make their risk exposure equal their contingency and really kind of bullshit their way through um a client meeting regarding the real exposure of the program and uh, so that was enough for me to say no and write a, a pretty lengthy email i wanted it in writing myself to say there is no way that is going to have my name on it this is your decision you've overruled the existing mitigation and the exposure it's incorrect you know it's incorrect blah 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 signed val yeah. And, uh, and there was a response back obviously, but, but it was, it was too late. I think, I think shortly after that, I put my resignation in. Um, and maybe that was the final nail in the coffin, but, but I refuse to work for companies that don't stand by the, 
people and also put their people in awkward positions like that because ethically that was the wrong thing to do. Maybe have an early discussion. Could you do something about that? Could you have a brainstorm? Okay, this is what we're going to do for now as a bridging workshop. And then if we can't figure it out by this date, then we're going to have to go clean with them. But 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 to, to bullshit the client, um, and I make an effort now that I'm in consulting, it's me on the front line not to do that. And what I find is actually I get into a room or you know, I'm pitching to a new potential client and they've been burned by so many consultants before me that most of the effort is spent on convincing them that I'm not like them. <laughs> I'm not the same. <laughs> and I don't even talk through the proposal because what they want to know is, can I trust you? Are you trustworthy? Are you ethical? Do you know who I am? Do you understand what we're, we're facing? You know, that's so, and that's just, you know, that's scary. You know, there's a number of major things that we need to fix and particularly in transport infrastructure where it affects all of us, you know, if, if we don't build bridges and roads and airports and ports and well then, you know, we all suffer as a collective and it doesn't make sense to then hinder or, or, um, or just blatantly uh, derail them for our own benefit. So it, it, it's a really mixed market out there in terms of good and bad, but I'd say that's probably one of the worst kind of or confronting maybe um yeah. the worst but it's definitely one that i can share maybe i'll share a little a bit more later in podcasts opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but no I, I think i think the word that springs to mind when you're talking there is uh authenticity be authentic yeah. um you know yeah. be just because not only in leadership not only at work just in life when you start one lie there's another lie and mm. another lie. Mm. And all of a sudden, you don't know what lie you've been telling. So just be authentic and just, you know, um, just make sure that whatever you're telling, just tell it with your open, honest truth. And I've found personally that more often than not, whether the news is good or bad, if you're telling the open, honest truth, you, 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 you get more of a positive reaction that way than the opposite. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with what you're saying there. That's a massive, massive don't for me. Um, Absolutely. There's certain times when your view and your opinion differs from that of others. Oh yeah, and that's different to what we're saying. Yeah, have exactly. opposing views, have debates. Um, but I like that. I like um, you know, it was good working with you as well. You know, and, and maybe Justin and a few others who wouldn't let me get away with everything, and so it gave me a bit <laughs> of gave me a bit of feedback and challenged some of the ideas and you know i was i was willing to listen to them i think that one that doesn't just show good leadership but it but it helps bring out the best ideas because you're not going to have all the good ideas let's be honest and i'm not going to have all the good ideas it's going to be a collective you're going to have one good one i might have a good one there might be a shared one maybe justin will come up with one maybe uh but but (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) i'm just hoping he's listening to this and uh i want to give him a shout out anyway because he's um He's one, of, he's one of our uh, he's one of our biggest fans. Uh, I know for the for the last podcast. So shout if out we to can Justin, find some, Justin uh, Rice. Yeah. If we can do some like buttons, he'd probably like it a lot. But um, that's it. Yeah. That's it. But uh, <laughs> a bit of banter is good. Um, so yeah. So I think we've we've covered a lot of different avenues and goods and bads and, and senior management. You know, it was probably harder to articulate what what was good and bad, but there's a far bigger emphasis on soft skills when you become a senior manager and you need to really practice that art. And if you haven't, I suggest you go out there and you do a bit of research and find out what works best for you and think about what's, what, what are your weaknesses? So 
maybe a SWOT test, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Think about your own personal development in terms of, geez, and maybe it's not you that, that finds out, you know, maybe it's not you that asks this question. Maybe you need to go to some close people that you trust the opinion of and ask them and say, you know, Dale, you know, what, what do you think my weaknesses are? And Dale's going to go, well, you know, you talk a lot, you know, and, uh, and the resting yeah, or whatever. Just like. shut up a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take a breath. Jesus. So it, it, it's important to get some perspective and, and then don't take it personally, but use it as feedback to build up that soft side and, and get some EQ in there. Yeah. So I, I think that is, I don't know how to top that personally. Um, can't make I, it. I, <laughs> I, I think that that's actually a really good point on, on where we can end this, this particular podcast because For sure. there's, there's quite a bit there if we combine part one with this part two. And as always, I, I'd really, really like to hear feedback from, you know, folks that are listening whether we only have two people listening or 20 or 200, who knows. Um, but feedback on whenever you listen, even if you listen to this podcast a year later, love to hear your feedback on that to see if we're hitting the mark or not. Because, um, and maybe in a year, two years, three years, 10 years, whenever someone listens to this, things will have evolved to what we're talking about. And that'd be great. Um, we've got that on record. But please, your <laughs> feedback, your feedback. If you can give us that email address again, Val. That's it. Here's the plug. It's admin at projectlabs.co, admin at projectlabs.co. Uh, alternatively, though, you can um, you can call Dale directly. Here's his mobile number. No, I'm just joking. It's <laughs> 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 it's late in the day for me. It's um, yeah, it's almost midnight. So I'm gonna I'm gonna clock off. But thanks for listening. I uh, appreciate you as always, Dale. Um, thanks for your insight. No, thank you, Val. Um, just to recap quickly, so we covered off uh, early stage careers in part one, moving into middle management, covered off a bit of uh, leadership as well in that middle management, do's and don'ts, touched on interviews, and then gave our views on when you're moving into more senior management roles, you know, the like of director, um, head of potentially VP, um, and just some of our, our, our experiences. So thank you again for listening. Thank you to you, Val, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you.